On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Oliver Reed is blackmailed by French thugs into releasing a prisoner, but the two become good buddies instead. It's 1973's Revolver. Cominciamo. Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the rabid dog, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Ugh, Doug, let me tell you what today is a crime. A Eurocrime, in fact. Okay. No, it's not a Eurocrime, it's just a crime. Uh, Regular crime. It it snowed today, Doug. It (laughs) fucking snowed. I can't believe, it's too soon. I'm not into it. I'm against it. I'm very upset. Now, granted... I think it was lake effect snow, which I think is sure. like mm-hmm. not the same thing as normal ass snow, but I don't fucking care. I'm angry. I'm like in a really, yeah. I just want to fight nature right now. We should note, listeners, that if you are in a place that currently uh, your reaction to Liam saying that is, yeah, of course it's snowing. It's this part of the year. At the time that we're recording this, it's ridiculous the fact that it would be snowing. Yeah. We're still, uh, we're, we're recording fairly early, even before the first half of November. Uh, we did have here in Ontario, which you would expect would get colder weather uh, we have had hail but no snow as of yet liam so you beat us uh back there right outside the windy city well we were a little further north we were visiting another area uh-huh. so i'm gonna say that that's the reason but i i will fully acknowledge i'm slightly fooling myself and not just accepting that fall is long over here <laughs> and i must i must break out my winter clothes and just accept you know i just i'm just not ready doug but Otherwise, things are good. Life is good. I'm excited to be talking about Eurocrime with you and uh, the bleakness of life and the system. It's, it's got me real excited. It's great. It's great. You can read the news, read the newspapers or read social media and see how bleak this, the whole outlook on life is. And then you can enjoy some European entertainment from the 1970s and get the exact same thing. It's true. You kind of get the feeling that maybe nothing has quite improved over these fucking, what is it now, 50 years? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Don't say that. That makes me a little depressed. Liam, you did recently travel to Pennsylvania, your old stomping grounds, uh, for for a nice, uh, a short, but seemed like a very uh, busy trip uh, where you were able to uh, meet up with some people and uh, attend attend the exhumed all-night film thing. What's that thing called? It's called the 20... Well, this year was 25-hour because it was... What? <laughs> the, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Daylight Savings. Uh, the 25-hour Horror-thon. Uh, this is the 14th event. I would say 14th annual, but people know they had to skip a year because the, the location where they used to have it in Philadelphia doesn't exist anymore. They tore the building down. And so between that and the pandemic... They obviously took a year off to both find a new location and also like, you know, so people didn't die. And this is the first year coming back. And it was it was really cool. It really was like a homecoming, but an interesting homecoming because the location where they had it was bigger. So there was a lot of new people there who had never been before. Right. Uh, and so it's interesting to have so many first timers for such like an established event. I have not yet been back to the cinema 
Liam, since the beginning of the pandemic. I've considered it several times. I think I even mentioned on one of our podcasts that Dune was the movie that I thought I would go back to see, but uh, it was available at home so quickly that I just watched it that way instead. I'm, I feel like I have uh, um, let down the side a little in regards to that, but I just don't feel totally comfortable. How comfortable were you staying all night in a movie theater? Well, I mean, I did have a benefit that you don't have at your average theater, which is they were requiring vaccine cards to enter. Right. And that's that theater is doing that for everything, even for their normal-ass movies. They're not letting you in the building unless you have a vaccine card or a negative COVID test, which is right. like – pretty strict for a normal theater let alone i mean i i would get it for an event like this but the fact that they're doing that for everything is pretty cool and of course Mm -hmm. masks on so like i felt a little more comfortable because of that but for listeners who don't know i've already gotten the booster so between these extra uh safety precautions and the fact that i got the booster i felt pretty comfortable i still have uh, a home covid test uh to take just to make sure Sure. that i'm not you know secreting something home to make my family sick uh Uh but but uh but yeah i mean i will say this is only my third time i think in the general movies like way back in the summer where things were a little bit looser here before delta really started to freak people out me and Suze went to a few movies not a lot right. but we mm-hmm. went to a few and mostly matinees for the very reason that we wanted to avoid crowds you know yeah absolutely. and then after that i would only go this is kind of the first thing i've been to in a while that wasn't a press screening because you know press screening everyone has their masks on most people are vaccinated. I, you know that the 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 image I have of most of the critics in Chicago is like generally liberal, so they generally have vac- gotten vaccinated. So like I feel pretty comfortable in that small crowd. But this was a big deal. But I sure. I will say, if this was closer to home, it would have been harder. I had to get over first the anxiety of traveling on an airplane. Of course, yeah. And the travel course. was way more anxiety-inducing. By the time I got through that and felt okay about life, but getting to the theater was less of a big deal. And honestly, like, you know, I felt like I could go in and out. If I was feeling uncomfortable, I could leave. Like, the thing about 25 hours of horror movies is you're you're not that worried that you're going to miss something, you know? Because right. it's 25 fucking hours. <laughs> uh, Liam, Fif- the only- 15 uh, movies, Doug. 15 <laughs> movies. It's a lot of movies. Liam, we're here today to talk about a, uh, a your crime film that is one of the more... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's one of the more respected. It certainly is the one that one of the ones that I hear most often talked about. Though uh, it kind of feels like its reputation has taken a big jump over the past decade or, or so, probably with the availability increase of it, and also the fact that you know the version that we watched was very nice looking, uh, yes, especially for a film yes. from that time period, and the fact that it stars a recognizable actor in the lead with Oliver Reed and has Fabio Testi in there, a regular uh, appearer in both Spaghetti Westerns and, and Eurocrime films. So uh, I didn't know what to necessarily expect going in. I chose this movie almost entirely because I'm a big Oliver Reed fan. But be- before we actually talk about the movie, before we take our break and return to talk about it, I wanted to talk about something that I've had a bit of a change of heart about since I've become an old, crusty, bastardly old man. Leo. Sure, yeah. Which is the idea of these kind of drunken, reprobate, asshole actors of the 1970s. Ones whose reputation was that they would be drunk on set and be an asshole to everybody. And, you know, like like your uh, Peter O'Toole and like your... um, 
well, Oliver Reed is probably the prime example, which is why I'm bringing this up right now. One of the things about this film, Revolver, is that Oliver Reed was an asshole to people on the set. Everyone who was there had stories about it to the point where they actually sent him home three days early because the fucking set was going to, like, the crew were going to uh, basically mutiny against him if they didn't get rid of him at that point. It's funny because when you watch the movie... It's not like he looks drunk, though he certainly looks, like, harried. He's supposed to within the movie itself. He is a great actor, and I love Oliver Reed. I mean, The Devils is obviously a movie that we both enjoy very, very much. Uh, and this movie, it, its existence and its popularity probably is due in some way to Oliver Reed appearing in it. But while when I was, you know, really getting into film in my late teens, early 20s, that I found, found that kind of thing really amusing. Like, these kind of bad boy actors who were just, like, terrors on the set. Now that I'm a little older, it just seems like it's like, why? You know, someone on Twitter a couple days ago were talking about, like, method actors, right? And how you never hear about method actors being good. Like, like the method is almost exclusively uh, attributed to an actor acting like an asshole, like a Jared Leto sending his shit through the mail or something like that. It's never buying flowers and fucking complimenting people on set because it's this good guy. It's only the assholes that ever do it. And, and now maybe I just have so much less tolerance for assholes. And also, assholes have gotten so much of a free ride <laughs> over these past decades that I just can't take it anymore. What's your opinion on kind of that bad boy uh, um, excuse, that excuse for bad behavior, the talent, high talent? Okay, let me get back to what I was trying to say. What, what do you think about that idea of a very talented person getting away with being a prick? I think in a wider context, I hate it. Like, especially when we're talking about your Jared Leto, um, sure. more recent examples. And so, yeah, I don't think there's anything about the craft that justifies you being a monster towards people. I don't think there's anything about acting. I mean, I, I think in general, actors take themselves too seriously. And that while I love the performance, and I, and I do think to some extent I want them to take themselves seriously, it's kind of like a... If I can make a brief aside here that I think will make sense. Sure. I don't like it when average people complain about rich athletes, right? And they'll sure. say, look at these assholes getting paid to play football. And I'm like, yeah, but they're doing something that seems magical, and they're risking their life to do it. And whoever owns the the team is making – 20 times more money. Whoever that's a, that's, a, that's the big thing, right? Like yeah. someone's making that money, they're actually getting less than they're worth. Yes. That's how I feel sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes with actors that in certain cases actors even though they're getting these huge paychecks are not getting actually what they're worth because for a lot of movies no one would go see this fucking movie if so and so wasn't in it. You know what I mean? And right. so part of me wants to like be patient. But lots of actors who are maybe paid a lot or maybe even are overpaid in some cases, some of them are still very nice fucking people. Like, right. it, it's not part of the art that they need to be a jerk-off. And so, in a general sense, I agree with you. I have no patience for it. Each and every one of them can, you know, basically kiss my ass. With the exception of Oliver Reed. You gotta understand. <laughs> you gotta understand, Doug. I am... I am... <laughs> To my detriment, let me say this is a this is a negative aspect of who I am, but I am solidly heterosexual. Just like fully, <laughs> no matter how hard I try, I just can't get around how attracted I am to women. And I I, I wish he I thinks had. He doth protest too much. Well, there is a big ex, there is a big exception here, Doug, and that is Oliver Reed. My literal sexuality is almost entirely women, but Oliver Reed could probably get it if he really was if if he was still alive and still young.
young, I would probably have sex with Oliver Reed because <laughs> I just find him to be the most engaging. <laughs> let's let's be let's be straight, let's be straight on this, Liam. Oliver Reed would be having sex with you. <laughs> Go for it. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be clear. I'm not convinced Oliver Reed. I mean, look, uh, if Marlon Brando could be a bottom, then Oliver Reed could be a bottom. Okay, Fair so enough. let's just Fair let's enough. just put that out there. All right, but I mean, I think I think he just wants whatever position he could fall asleep in. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think he is. I, well, let's put it. Let, let me relate it to something else. Sometimes there's a thing that is the perfect example of whatever it is that it is. And while I don't like that thing generally, I like that perfect example. So right. in music, I love Johnny Cash. Country music can kiss my ass. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Or uh, the band Cave-In. I love their album. Uh, uh, I think it's the album is Beyond Hypothermia. Whatever their, their last heavy record is. But mm-hmm. the metalcore that came after it can all in the, eat my shit. The whole genre. But that record is sick. You know? There are lots of actors who probably are partly assholes because of someone like Oliver Reed, because of the legend of the work that he would do by being a drunk jerk-off. Every one of those people can, like, eat shit and die. But Oliver Reed, I would be his harried personal assistant. I would fucking (laughs) be the guy who picks up his dry cleaning that we had to have dry clean because it was covered in his fucking puke. Like, there's just something about him that I love, and I get it. I am... If he was contemporary and I had to live in a social media world where I was hearing a lot more details about what a fucking jagoff he was, maybe I'd be a little more sensitive to it. But he's dead. It was a long time ago, and I don't have any deep connection to any of those motherfuckers. So as far as I'm concerned, he can live in legend, and it's fine. So, you know, it's funny. it's funny just to echo what you're saying. Like, the people who were involved in this movie – like years and years ago, when Oliver Reed was still alive, they would tell stories about this that that would, were incredibly negative towards him. Since he's died, those people, uh, even some who have since passed away themselves, like they really softened their take on it. Which, which it, I mean, it kind of speaks to what you're saying. The legend looms so heavily that even when you experienced it and hated it at the time, in retrospect, it was like, well, it was nice to be part of that just for a little while. Oh, can we also acknowledge that part of what's going on here? I do want to separate him from some of these other jerk offs, and that sure. Uh, um, in the seventies, we didn't understand alcoholism, right? Like, fair enough. What a what a what a what a, uh, what a uh, Oliver Reed in a twelve step program has been as much of a giant fucking monster as he was. Like, I like. There's a small part of me that thinks what bums me out is not just that he was a, a, a crude monster, uh, but that. Uh, that he also was clearly suffering and yes. destroying himself, and nobody and died young because of it. Yeah, too. no, and nobody. I mean, I'm sure there were people who cared, but no one knew enough to intervene. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm sure there were people who saw the tragedy of it, but they didn't know what to fucking do about it because at the time, no one really knew what you were supposed to do in those situations. And so, like, that's also part of it. Now, granted, if it comes out later, though, I haven't heard anything where he crossed the line into actual like uh, assault. Like sure. a story of Oliver Reed assaulting someone. Well, then fuck Oliver Reed. That's a different. I don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, I think like it's a, safe to say that he's assaulted people, right? Fair. I mean, he, I, I'm. He, I'm thinking of sexual assault. If I uh, understand, uh, Oliver Reed fighting people is great. You know how I. Yeah. You know how I am. I think all violence is bad, 
But if you want me to say that a fair fist fight is the same thing as a war, that's a that, I'm never going to make that jump. I would never get in a fist fight, but two guys fist fighting or even like uh, you know anything that would qualify as a fair fight. I don't want to be gendered because there are plenty of uh, non cis male identifying people who also feel like they're in a fair fight. That's fine as long as you think you're in a fair fight. I I feel okay about you getting into a fight as long as people are like they've made a decision to do something that I think is very stupid but they're going to fairly fight each other. Fuck yeah. Great. Good for you. Have fun being an idiot. That's awesome. That's not the same as like uh, him treating some poor uh, uh, intern or, you know what I mean? Like there are other things he could have done that maybe he didn't. I haven't heard about that. I would be a lot less sensitive towards. All I've heard about is him being drunk and rude and yeah. being drunk. I'm really sorry. When I looked up while you were talking just then I looked up Oliver Reed and assault just to get an idea. Just yeah. to be honest, I don't know a ton about Oliver Reed's life. And it first, the first thing that came up was an article from 1981 where he got into a barroom brawl in Vermont. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm sorry. 40, I can't care 43 about that. 43 at the time. So yeah. I mean, uh, a, a Liam O'Donnell ish age. And here he is battling people in a bar. And, uh, it, it says he, um, at Tuesday's hearing, Reed, neatly dressed in a blue pinstripe suit, was, <laughs> was subdued and contrite. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds correct. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to justify if, if something comes out that I haven't heard that he did something truly horrific. I'm not trying to justify that. But I'm saying a general him being an asshole, I should care more than I do because I certainly don't want to put up with that. Like, any story about Jared Leto, I'm like, that dude's not worth – a nice Jared Leto. I wouldn't put up with a nice Jared Leto on set, <laughs> let alone a fucking asshole. You know what I mean? But with Oliver Reed, it's hard for me not to be like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you know? And I, and I just – all I'm doing is saying I'm being hypocritical and I'm acknowledging that. Well, I mean it helps that Oliver Reed had a lot of great performances. But, Amazing. But one of the questions that we're going to ask after we take this break is – is Oliver Reed being an asshole during the making of 1973's Revolver? Did that lead to a strong performance? We'll find out about that. We'll talk about that and a lot more right after this. Here is what happens when the killers of three continents deploy an arsenal of hitmen in a shattering shock of showdown. All at once, all over the world, murder was on the move, converging on this one spot. Blood in the streets. Oliver Reed in a performance that makes Charles Bronson's death wish look like wishful thinking. Your husband. Tell him that you're okay. In the name of love, he killed a man, destroyed another, spit on his badge, tore a city apart, brick by brick, street by street punk by punk, to find his wife. An Italian official decides to take it upon himself to free his wife after she's taken hostage by ruthless criminals. It's 1973's Revolver, also known as, in the U.S., Blood in the Streets, also known as In the Name of Love. Uh, it was retitled several times. In that particular case, it was to capitalize on Oliver Reed's success in the film Women in Love. But uh, this movie is not a love story. Not at all. Directed by Sergio Salima, uh, who, as uh, an Italian director, a lot of his work is probably well-known, but he's probably, his films that are most well-known are his spaghetti westerns, The Big Gun Down, and Run, Man, Run with Thomas Milian. Uh, 
Uh, he did the usual run of Italian films in the 60s and 70s. So he did Peplum films, Eurospy films, spaghetti westerns before moving on to Eurocrime with Violent City, which I'm sure we'll get to eventually. Written by Dino Maiori, uh, who uh, the writer of Danger Diabolic, uh, who you might know from that film, the Mario Bava film, as well as a familiar name on this podcast because he contributed to the scripts of both Bandits in Milan and Bandits in Rome. And uh, Massimo Dorita, who uh, worked with Dino on those two films, uh, as well as writing other Eurocrime films like Street Law, The Heroin Busters, and the bizarre superhero film The Puma Man, uh, which appeared on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, Sergio Saloma also contributed to the script in this case, starring, as we have mentioned at length, Oliver Reed as Vito Cipriani and Fabio Testi as Milo Ruiz. Uh, other familiar faces in this movie? W- the one familiar face, and this might, uh, it might not uh, have registered to you, is uh, Frederic de Pascal, who plays Michel Granier in this. He's kind of the, the big baddie for most of the film, has a kind of a very distinctive looking face. He immediately stuck out to me because just a couple of days ago, I watched The French Connection for the first time, and he plays a really important supporting role in that. I'm guessing that's how he ended up. Uh, yes, why, yes, I totally know what you're talking about. I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't remember from what. It's only because I'd seen that movie so recently, and I'm like, that's that guy. That's got to be that guy. And I looked it up, and it's not like he was making a ton of movies at this time period. I imagine he ended up in this because of The French Connection, which would have been just a couple of years before. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, they had a number of different titles. When uh, Death Wish was released in 1974, the year after this, they changed the slogan to this to say that uh, Revolver, or, or I guess in the case of... Uh, the American release, Blood in the Streets, it makes Death Wish look like wishful thinking. (laughs) I mean, it's a pretty dark movie. Liam, I want to know what you thought of 1973's Revolver. I mean, it already has an advantage because it's got my man Oliver Reed in it. So I'm already like biased towards the movie. But I got to say, when it first started, Doug, I felt a bit of anxiety because as we've discussed before, we're really taking a chance with the genre because neither one of us are necessarily stoked, though not always anti. There are examples where it's good, but neither one of us are stoked on copaganda. That a movie that's just like, man, if only cops could murder whoever they wanted, then the world would be a better place. That's just not my vibe. I don't like that kind of movie often. Not always, but often I don't like it. So when this movie starts, the Oliver Reed character is not just a cop. He's a warden now. You could could make a compelling argument that whether they're right or not, a chunk of cops are cops because they think they'll make the world better. There is no such thing as a warden who thinks he's helping. That's not a real thing. Like, you become a warden because you want your job to be making people suffer. That's just the reality. Like, the, 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 when we're talking about the, you know, the prison industrial complex, the prison is the worst part. It's easy to focus on the police because they're the ones who just murder us. But the prison is really the, the, the test case of this shit isn't working. So when he, like, runs a prison, I'm like, oh, God, this is the worst case scenario. But the movie isn't I mean, about... the, uh, sorry, Liam, but the, like, the clear sign of that is the fact is there's tons and tons of movies about hero cops. There's yeah. very fucking few movies about hero prison wardens. No, wardens <laughs> are always bad. They're always yeah. bad. And and so, like, you know, when it starts off, and here's our man, to me, the most charming man in the world, uh, and he's a fucking warden, I thought, uh, where where is this shit going? But the movie is very aware of the broken system. And, in fact, the only character in the movie who who 
not the only, but one of the only characters who's like truly just seems like an innocent, good person with like a good head on their shoulders is uh, the criminal has a lady friend who like encourages this guy to like go to the press so that he can maybe affect the system. And yeah, she really feels like the only voice of reason in the whole goddamn movie. Like everyone uh-huh. is crazy. And this one young idealistic woman is the only one who's like, this is bad. We should do something about this. And of course the, the criminal's reaction is, or I could just like run away and get some money. That sounds better actually. <laughs> and you're just like, God damn it. You know, but like this idea, like what the movie does weirdly is both show you, the underside of criminality, like these are not good folks for the most part, but also humanize them. They're also not the worst. In fact, the worst criminal is the politician, is the system, is the is the person with power. And that these petty criminals who are working out their differences are all at the service of the larger society power structure, the status quo. And it's the status quo that's willing to grind down any individual that gets in its way i fucking love that so you take that theme with two actors who are both fucking going at it both of these guys are not playing games with these performances these are intense powerful performances and a movie that i wouldn't call it a straight-up action movie but for a euro crime film has some really solid action sequences yeah i was really wrapped up in it the whole time it has a lot of twists and turns i think some people might feel like it's a little overly complicated and we can get into the details of that if we want but that didn't bother me and it wraps up in a way that i think really clarifies for you for for me as an audience member what the stakes really were the whole time that like it kind of comes together in a way where i'm like okay i understand why whereas i could see a lesser movie wrapping this shit up and i'm still going i don't know why this i don't know what's what's at stake here you know what i mean and i and and there was a moment where i started to think like are we ever going to really understand what the fuck is happening but by the end i felt very good about uh what what was going on and why it mattered if that makes sense yeah absolutely and the fact that oliver reed he's playing a very brooding performance here i mean after his wife gets kidnapped he is like (laughs) he's he's not taking any shit from anybody however what the movie is really about is he is a man who's used to having control because he has this position with you know people that he he basically has runs a a, a prison where he is uh, in control of everybody and then he realizes slowly throughout the film that not only does he not really understand what's going on but that as he he more understands the the scope of what's happening that he has less and less control over it that, yes. to the point where at the end he's been completely broken which i mean it's a pretty amazing thing and it, and like you said i had the reservations at the beginning as well because you know I, even the idea of most of this movie being a cop ish character you know teamed up with a criminal and them you know getting to know each other that can play out we've seen that in tons of different movies both good and bad but in a movie like this where i wanted to see something a little more serious i thought it was might be become a little bit grating but it's not because this movie is very serious and it is trying to make a social commentary which uh again is not something that i think we necessarily expected out of all the euro crime films that no we're, not at all yeah. going to cover uh and my understanding is that this is sort of an anomaly in some ways at least in terms of the leanings that we see in this film i do want to talk about the plot of it a little bit which is that overall so Oliver Reed, he is a prison warden. His wife gets kidnapped, and uh, the the kidnappers demand that he release a prisoner. That prisoner is, uh, is Milo Ruiz, played by Fabio Testi in the film. Now, uh, Fabio Testi's character doesn't know why he's being released. All he knows, and all we know up to that point, is that he had a partner, 
uh, friend, basically one of his only friends in the world who he was committing crimes with. Uh, the movie starts with that his his crime partner dying and him being buried in this location because he doesn't want to be dissected on a on a uh, in a morgue. He said so he gets buried in this this place. They seem to have a very kind of tender relationship. I think there might even be a suggestion that they were lovers or something along those lines, it, or maybe it's just that they're very close. But uh, so we don't know how that connects to things until much later in the film. But like you were just alluding to, lots of twists and turns throughout the film. Did you ever lose the plot at all? In the sense that I, well, I wouldn't say I lost the plot. I would say there are moments in the movie where you just need to go with what's happening and understand that you don't know any more than your main characters do. You right? got to trust it. Yeah, you yeah. got to trust Oliver that. Oliver Reed yeah, yeah, yeah. and Fabio Testi, they don't know what the fuck is going on. And so, and maybe this is an American audience thing. I don't know. But there's a part of me that's like, well, if they don't know, then how am I supposed to fucking know what's going on? And I just had to like let go of that and and trust that the movie would explain why I was confused. And I think it really does very well. Yeah, because when when it um, when we start to find out more about the pop singer guy Al Nico, uh, who's like a friend of Fabio Testi's character, and how that all played into the person that we saw pass away at the beginning, Fabio Testi's partner, and how that like that was all supposed to connect with the dead body that they had. There's a lot going on. I'll be honest, I, mean, I was able to let's let's start the thing that we haven't said we should back up to is that sure. there's there's a random plot point that doesn't make sense till later, which is we leave Oliver Reed's world, and we see a political assassination, right? Yes. And then the pop star identifies the assassin as his friend. But if we have have been paying attention, we recognize the name, and it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How could this guy be in France when we just saw him at the beginning of the movie die in Italy with this yes. other guy? It doesn't make any sense. And then it becomes clear that that's not – that everything that's going on in the end is a cover-up of this political assassination. Yes. And that's where, you know, for people who are like, what does this crime movie have to do with all this political themes that Liam was talking about? That's what the movie is sort of getting at, that there's all this tension between police and thieves, let's say, to use a reggae term. You know, <laughs> police and thieves in the street shooting at each other, doing whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. But in reality, the powerful is the fucking society, the power structure. And that the power structure is willing to crush any single one of these motherfuckers to make sure that that I mean even the guy who's assassinated the guy who's assassinated is not like a golden god of purity right he's sure. just a guy who started to question some things and that got him fucking killed and now everyone else who could be a thing where it would reveal that this guy was killed by the system and not by a random criminal all those people could catch a bullet too that anyone in this movie could just die and that would be fine as long as the status quo is maintained exactly. it is at its essence a movie about conservatism really like not maybe not in the way that we've come to understand it because conservatives in this country would tear the whole system down just to bum out a black person like that's sure, they're, sure. they're in a way a lot of conservatives in the united states are like kind of anarchists because they don't really believe in anything but in europe to be conservative is to say the continuity of the system is all that matters. So whether I need to crush on ind individual rights or the rights of groups doesn't matter as long as the society is maintained. The cons conservative is a literal term to describe someone who wants to conserve the way the system is. That's what this movie is about. It's a system 
protecting itself by hurting all manner of different people with any matter, with no regard for law or justice or anything. It's just, we'll do whatever it takes, man. So either you're going to conform to what we want or you're not. And Oliver Reed, in his nature, doesn't think he needs to conform to shit. That is a dude who's used to getting his own way. And as you said so eloquently, I think, Doug, the movie is about him being broken, essentially broken. Yeah, yeah, and like it's not really a, it's not Kafka esque in the sense that no, it's actually a lot more realistic than that. Uh, which isn't to say that that it's the I mean, obviously that's what Kafka was getting at, but the idea that the system in this case is so omnipresent and so oppressive that that at the end, and I don't want to give too much away, but we have already said that he he ends in a broken man. He basically just sent back to where he was at the beginning, except. Now, instead of the person he was, he's a completely, as we said, broken person because he sees the reality of the system that he is, in some ways, a pretty significant part of. One of the greatest uh, moments in the film for me was when Michel Granier, the kind of French gangster guy who uh, is, for most of the film, we see him as as the person in control of of, uh, who's tormenting Oliver Reed and has kidnapped his girlfriend and things like that. He sits down in front of Oliver Reed and he shows him those three cards, right? The one, which are just three different fates. You can either say that your uh, wife or girlfriend, or I think it was his, his girlfriend, uh, whether she, you know, committed suicide, whether she took a drug and had no, an overdose. His wife. That's his wife. It's his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if, if, if oh, yes, yeah, she's Anna Cipriani. So, of course, she's his wife. So, so his wife, what they've done is they've injected her with heroin and he's there and he's giving Oliver Reed's character options. And his options are that they can find her body because she's had a heroin overdose, that they can, you know, kill her in some other way, or they can give him the option of that they can all go home together as long as he does the things that they want him to do. And that's the level of control that they have over his character, which is that, like, everyone's fate is, the the truth of the fate doesn't matter. They can create the truth of it after the fact in any way that they want. Well, and there's a moment, too... It's hard to say we're not going to spoil a movie that's like 50 years old. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but there's a moment where he is making a choice and uh, 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 Fabio Testi is making a choice. And it's become very clear both to us and to Oliver Reed that this low-life criminal who really has given off the vibe the whole movie that he doesn't give a fuck about shit yeah. is in the end a better person than Oliver yeah. Reed. That he's a stronger, more ethical person when he has to be and then in reality you know he he's the person he is because of the system he's a part of but he can make a choice that it turns out Oliver Reed is incapable of making and there's a real suggestion at the end that the person he's become in order to save his wife might not be a person she loves yeah that there's a great I mean that the final shot is definitely yes. evocative of yes yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like I think the deep cynicism of that is maybe going to be hard for people. Like, I don't know how many people are coming to this genre to get emotionally rocked or not, but uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't like a total like bummer of a movie, but there is a core of darkness here that might be hard for some viewers who are like, I just wanted to see some goddamn car crashes. I don't know if I wanted to have my view of the world challenged (laughs) or not. You know, Uh, did you watch this film with the Italian dub or the English dub? I watched it. And I didn't realize Italian was an option. I, I I watched the same copy that Doug did, everyone, but I wasn't curious enough to look to see what my options were. So I just watched <laughs> the English dub, which is admittedly disappointed because I, I don't know that Oliver Reed did his dub. So my understanding is he did do his dub. He sounds he a doing, little off. 
he well he's doing an American accent for one thing, which is not what you're used to coming out nope, of Oliver Reed. Not at all. I mean, he has a very distinctive voice, right, and a very kind of mellifluous kind of presence in his voice. But here, I'm pretty sure he is doing his own voice. It just is a little bit higher and more reedy because he's doing this American accent. I wish I wish he hadn't been. His deep boom is one of the sexiest things that's ever existed. Like his deep voice. It's just like the and also there's no reason for him not to have an accent here, right? I mean, he's doesn't already playing a fucking sense. Italian. Yeah, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> he's just doing. I guess it's just because of the kind of American cop movies that it's trying to imitate to some extent. Maybe that's why he went in that direction. But it's a little hard to understand, right? Because he must have been did doing you, it on set. Did you watch it in Italian or did you watch it in English? I'm going to be watching most of these in English. Uh, like I said in the previous episode, we we have an international cast. They're going to be dubbed either way. Like we said, like Mich- Michel Grandier, the Frederic de Pascal character, he is obviously speaking French in this. There's people speaking German. I mean, there's a lot of different nationalities on screen. And the fact is, if the leads are going to have like a Henry Silver or something like that, people who are, are going to dub their own voice, then I'm going to want to stick with that because at I least agree. the lead performance yeah. will be, yeah. But I mean, it's, 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 Definitely down to personal preference. The other thing I mentioned in our last episode was sometimes more care is taking with the, taken with the dub of the film in the location where the more people are going to see it. So, But this film was meant to play in the U.S., so I think they took a little more care with it. I mean, Fabio Testi is not uh, dubbing himself here, but I think the performance still kind of shines through. It's a very charming performance for a guy who's not really well-known as as someone who gives a lot of strong performances. You know, he plays a lot of action-y roles. He's an ex-stuntman. But here, I think he gives off a lot of charm. I think he holds holds his own with Oliver Reed in the film. It might be just the right role for him, but he's exactly yeah. what you want, and he really sells. There's a number of moments where I think he is asked to really sell a performance, and I think he does. Um, yeah. I, it's hard to be on screen with fucking Oliver Reed, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, if I say he chews the scenery, people are going to think I'm saying something bad. But, like... He melts the scenery sometimes with his intensity, and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like, oh, fuck him, he's overacting. It just feels like he's in the moment. You know, he's just so powerful. I, I if it, To the extent that if he's ever asked to do – I've never seen him do a role that required more subtlety. I suspect if he was in one, it might not work out well. That, like, <laughs> that's just not his bread and butter. But that's not this role. He is a bombastic jerk of a man who's – suffering a lot of bullshit and that's what comes across and yet our man Fabio Testi holds his own and and it's never like oh this is Oliver Reed's movie and this guy's just there this is both of their movies really and that's saying a lot when you're on screen with Oliver Reed yeah absolutely especially considering that that uh, there's been many stories about they they had kind of a uh, difficult relationship. Uh, uh, Fabio Tessi says that he was one of the only people who could wrangle Oliver Reed be- uh, because he did have such a good sense of humor. And maybe that just played into the role, right? Because that's exactly the sort of relationship that they sort of have in the film. Um, one thing that this movie really benefits from is its soundtrack by Ennio Morricone, particularly its main theme, Un Amico, which uh, was used to great, uh, great to a great extent in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Uh, what did you think of the soundtrack of the film, Liam? Uh, even outside, I mean, like the opening scene where uh, Fabio Testi's friend, like the, he's been buried, and they use that wonderful music, and that theme comes up throughout the film. What did you think of the soundtrack overall and the use of that song? I liked it. Um, I. Sometimes with Morricone, the soundtrack is more iconic than even the scene that it's in. You know what I mean? Sure. Like there are moments when in a Morricone score where I'll be like, I care more about the music than I care about what's happening. You know, <laughs> and, and that never happened in this movie. I was never overwhelmed with the Morricone-ness of it all, uh, but I felt like it, it was very fitting throughout. And there were 
not a ton, but a number of moments where I thought, ooh, this scene works better because of what Morricone is doing right now, you know? Um, but, you know, it, I, I don't know that I would buy this album. It, it, I don't know that it stood out enough that I'm like, I need this record to listen to when I'm off doing whatever. But right. it, it still worked very, it was very effective. Yeah, and certainly that particular piece of music, you can see why it caught Tarantino's eye, and or ear, I should say, and, and why he went, wanted to use it otherwise. It is very... Uh, it, it it's actually kind of touching, particularly in that opening scene, and yeah, when it's kind of brought up again and again, and it, and it really does kind of stand on its own. Morcone could uh, even outside of his uh, ability to make like great soundtrack music, some some of his kind of individual song style type music really does kind of uh, hold up. But it's uh, yeah, if you want to hear that song, we'll play that at the end of the episode here. Liam, one of the things you mentioned is that there isn't a lot of action necessarily in this film. Certainly not enough that you would necessarily call it an action movie. Maybe an action drama, something like that would be a little bit more uh, uh, appropriate for the kind of movie this is. There is still action within it, though. Uh, is there any action that stood out? Uh, car chases, uh, gunplay, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, again, not to give too much away, but there's a, a, a scene that goes bad where something's supposed to happen and instead it's an ambush. That scene was fucking stellar. Just just really well done, action-y, whatever. I really like that a lot. Um, I'm trying to think if there was There's a part at the end of that scene where someone who's just been kind of hurt pretty Unbelievable. seriously. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, tries to ask if he can go to the hospital with them, even though he was like involved in it in that action sequence on the other side, right? Like he was not a friend of theirs whatsoever. Very sad. There's just like a couple of moments in this movie which really yep. does Yeah, it, it goes that extra mile to show that this is not a clean business. That 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 the the action that happens that it has consequences. And I think that the the movie really benefits from that. The only other action scene that kind of stood out for me, and this is what might kind of jog your memory a bit, is and it isn't really much of action at all. It's that part where uh they are trying to get across the border and they're in this truck full of of, of people who are all trying to cross the border and uh and a cop almost uh catches them and they and Oliver Reed takes the wheel and almost runs over the cop. Very brief car chase in this movie. Well, but the truck was so unbalanced. Yes. That, like it I was dangerous. I was watching it going <laughs> They're going to die shooting this. Like, I don't mean the characters are going to die. The <laughs> actors are going to die because that truck is going to fall over on that icy road. Like, it was an intense little scene there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there's a lot of great visuals. I mean, that whole sequence of going through the mountains is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and a real reminder, like... Um, it's how great just, snow is and that you should be looking forward to the snow. No, eat my ass. <laughs> what it is a reminder of is that we focus... I think a lot of movies, when people think about it, Italian movies, they're thinking about southern Italy. Yeah. And this movie is so about Northern Italy and the relationship to the Alps and to France that that was interesting. You know, that that's yeah. a whole different part of the country that maybe doesn't get as representative represented in film the way that other parts of the country do. I will, this movie, watching it, it's not that I haven't enjoyed the films that we've watched on Wild in the Streets so far, but this did kind of feel like a next level type movie. I, Agreed. I worry a little bit that we have... Uh, that we have peaked a little too soon and that we're going to be disappointed going forward with some of the films that we're watching that maybe don't go, that don't take such kind of a, a hardline stance at the, at condemning systemic violence, systemic uh, manipulations and things like that. So, uh, but I am looking forward. I mean, again, this kind of got me jazzed for watching more of these kind of movies, which is exactly what I was hoping for out of this podcast. Well, I think, 
you know, I want to be clear. Every episode, we're going to give y'all an ideological take on what's happening in the film. But we if can't y'all, help it. but if y'all expect me to be bummed on every movie that turns out to be <laughs> propaganda, that is not the case. As much as I go into some of these movies thinking, "Well, fuck this and the fucking police and whatever it is I have on my mind," <laughs> some of these movies are going to be pure cop worship, and they're going to be so good that I'm not going to care because that's just the reality, right? It's easy. It's, it goes back to other que- questions we've had on this podcast before, not Wild in the Streets, but Cinema Smorgasbord, where we've talked about art and artist issues, right? Well, if the art and artist issue is Victor Salva, eat, eat shit. I don't care. I'm not losing sure. anything. Yep. It gets a lot harder when we start talking about Polanski, you know, because there's some real movies in there that I think yeah. are really amazing. Sure. And so for, for me, when it comes to these movies, if the movie sucks and it's a movie that just like is like we should just murder all criminals, it's going to be easy for me to come down hard on it and people should expect that bias. But if you all are – if you like that about the show and you expect me to have that attitude all the time, I'm just going to ruin it for you right now. There is going <laughs> to be a movie where there's a super cop and it's going to be probably Franco Nero and – it's going to be really good, and I'm going to say, well, I know I shouldn't, but I really like this movie, and that's just the reality. <laughs> it's just going to be real, so I'm owning it right now. The same way that some of the – you know, the, the thing about these trends, we're covering what is not – is less of a genre and more of a trend, right? It's a trend Absolutely. in, in, yeah. in a time in cinema. Some of the trends are going to suck, y'all. The same as like horror is a genre, but – a trend in horror was the slasher movie. And some slasher movies are magical and I love them. And a lot of slasher movies I hate because they're stupid and they suck. And, you know, occasionally we're going to hit some of these Eurocrime movies, a trend I mostly love, and they're just going to be bad because they're, someone tried it who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. So, you know, I, I'm ready, Doug, for us to watch some of these things and be like, ooh, that was bad. But I already <laughs> know. I mean, some of the movies we haven't covered yet that I have seen – I love. So, like, I'm still mostly jazzed, even though I do suspect that this will be one of the highlights of the whole show. Well, speaking of trends, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, we're actually going to come to the tail end of the Plitsiotetsky trend. Sure. With 1980s Contraband, directed by a director who followed a lot of trends, Lucio Fulci, someone that both Liam and I are very familiar with in terms of his horror work uh, and some of his other films outside of that as well. But I do have to say, Liam, I have never seen 1980s Contraband, which also stars Fabio Testi. So uh, it's going to be an interesting transition to go from uh, one of the earlier films in his uh, kind of Eurocrime career to one of the later films in in the entire genre to happen. I'm very curious about it. I think we're both... Lucio Fulci completus, but I can yeah. definitely own that I've never seen this. Like I have, I don't know anything about it, so I'm super excited to see one of Fulci's movies that is completely unfamiliar to me. We're going to talk a bit, I'm sure, on that episode about our feelings on Fulci's career as a whole. I have a lot of time for his films, even some of his lesser beloved ones. But certainly, uh, I'm I'm right there with a lot of people when it comes to his classics, particularly the Beyond. He's a director that I absolutely love and I have uh, a lot of respect for, but have not seen his uh in fact this is his only film in this genre or this uh, trend as you said so it'll be very interesting to see his take on it in contraband on the next episode of wild in the streets liam if people want to check out more episodes of wild in the streets or other podcasts in this vein what's the best way for them to do so well, of course, we're a uh, proud member of the Cinepunks podcasting family. Uh, if people head over to CINEPUNX.com, Cinepunks.com. They can not only find this show, but, you know, a whole 
whole grouping of shows from Twitch of the Death Nerve to uh, Fat Girl Hacks to uh, uh, Tomb of Ideas. There's a whole family of shows over there that I think are worth checking out, as well as some great uh, articles, um, features. Uh, We also have a YouTube series that's going pretty well and uh, some merch, which just recently some people picked out some merch. So uh, hopefully I remember to send it to them. Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) check that out, Cinepunks.com. And of course, if you want to know more about Cinepunks, you want regular updates cinepunks is on all the social medias all the various social meds uh just under cinepunks c-i-n-e-p-u-n-x facebook instagram twitter we're not on tiktok yet we'll see that might happen it, it probably <laughs> won't it probably won't uh as far as cinema smorgasbord we have our own website too cinemasmorgasbord.com where you can dive into the archives of all the various shows that we do uh ranging from shows covering carol kane steve buscemi vic diaz uh as well as shows covering more um genre film uh festivals uh all kinds of stuff that we're covering here uh and 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 uh, new stuff all the time, including our um, uh, George Kennedy is my po- uh, co-pilot. Uh, uh, just launched very recently. I'm excited to do some more stuff in, in that area as well. Uh, and if they want to just get some updates about this show specifically, they can head on over to Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at CinemaSmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can follow Liam on Twitter as well, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, and I'm on there once again, at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-U-I. If you enjoy uh, Cinema Smorgasbord or any Cinepunks podcast, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? We always appreciate it. As Liam mentioned, we have a lot of themed podcasts. There are a lot of them launched in this very year. Uh, we're going to be returning with our Joe Dorowski, Alejandro Jodorowsky podcast, Joe Dorowski, in the very near future. A lot of great new news to report on uh, the In Call, which is our our subject of that check all that out at both cinepunks and cinemasmorgasbord.com but for now liam we need to uh shut our suitcase full of drugs we're gonna be back again with another (laughs) euro crime classic (laughs) good night everyone night night